That song is so precious to me. Um, for many ways, the first reason is the very first line. I once was lost, but now I'm found. How many of you are so thankful that the Lord has found you and grabbed you and established your relationship? <laughs> me too. I'm, I'm looking forward to briefly sharing that with you this morning as well. But before we get in to today's message, see if this will work for me here. So I need to press a button. Ha ha. Well, while that's warming up, why don't we say a quick word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. God, we're so thankful that you have ransomed us. We're so thankful that we were lost, but now we're found. And we're so thankful, God, that we get to be here and to fellowship and worship you. And Lord, we just want to invite your Holy Spirit here. Lord, you know that I, I tremble before your people. Um, thinking that me, a sinner, <laughs> it truly has a message to share, but God, I know that you have me up here for a reason. And so, Father, I just pray you hide me behind the cross and that the simple words that I speak are words from the throne of God. We just thank you for hearing this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. This morning, we are going to be talking about the fearful witness. Now, I do have a question for you, and that question is, what does it mean, doesn't want to work, what does it mean to fear God? Now, I want you um, to, to think, I, I want audience feedback from this. You cannot use the word reverence or awe. I want you guys, what does it mean to fear God? Love, respect, Okay. Anybody else? What about from the Bible? What in, in the Bible, what does it say about fearing God? Any Bible texts that come to mind? Oh, oh, over here we have the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of his power? Okay. Well, let's look from the Bible on what does it mean to fear God. We're talking today about the fearful witness. Well, what does it mean to fear God? Let's go to Revelation chapter 14, which was our scripture reading today. Revelation chapter 14. We all should be familiar with this passage in scripture. <laughs> Revelation chapter 14. And we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. When you're there, can I say a hearty, hear a hearty amen? amen? All right, Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. It reads... Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. We know this as the first what? First angel's message. Now, the very first two words of the first angel's message is fear God. So I want us to look at what does this mean. This message is so important to our church as we are supposed to be proclaiming the three angels' message. What is this fear God? Let's go now to Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 off of, of what Nancy mentioned earlier. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. Is it okay if we do a little Bible study this morning? Proverbs chapter 9 
and verse 10. It reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so, according to this verse, what is the fear of the Lord? It's the beginning of wisdom. You're exactly right. Good job, Bible students. And so, we see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, let's keep going. We have one more verse to look at. Let's just go one chapter, two chapters over, and look at one more verse. And I'm going to see if you guys are going to put the pieces together here. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. And it reads, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Hmm. So according to this verse, someone who is wise does what? When souls. Is anybody getting it so far? We're looking at what does it mean to fear God? I hear some, I hear, see some heads nodding, some people kind of looking, going back, trying to figure out what, what is this exactly saying? So we saw first that what does it mean to fear God? We saw that it means to fear God is the beginning of wisdom and those that are wise win souls. I put together a little equation for you to help you out here. How many of you guys know the Pythagorean theorem? Go back to math class. I know, I know. I'm sorry to take you back to those times. <laughs> so the Pythagorean theorem, it's A plus B equals C, so therefore A equals C, right? So we see here that the fear of God plus wisdom equals soul winning. So to fear God means to win souls. To fear God means to win souls. Now this morning, I want to share with you a really powerful soul winner. Her name is Heidi Bryant. I don't know if any of you know who she is here. Maybe a few of you are nodding your heads. And the reason why, she is a really, really, really great soul winner. Right now, she is currently the Southern California Conference Literature Ministries Director. And she's been leading Call Porter Youth Rush program since 2005. She's led many souls to God. Now, you might be wondering, Brooke, why are you bringing up a Heidi Bryant this morning? Well, the reason why she was a fearful witness, the reason why she feared God, the reason why she was an amazing soul winner was because she won me. Now, this morning, I know many of you have maybe had formal introductions, but I really want to tell you my story. I really want to tell you how being a fearful witness has changed my life. I really want to share with you who is your cross trainer. Well, here is Little Brooke Taylor Lutz, born January 29, 1993, to the parents of Roger and Penny Lutz here in the row, front row here, at 3.20 p.m. There's me. My mom sent me this picture yesterday, and I almost cried because I was like, those same hands. That's me. <laughs> now, I'm so thankful because the Lord, here's a couple other pictures here, I know. Just so you know, that red mark, I didn't get hit in the forehead. That's actually my birthmark. My mom likes to brand her children, and um, so I have a red mark on my forehead. And it comes out when I'm really mad or when I'm hot. So just a, there's a red mark on my forehead, that's why. There's me, age four. Now, 
what's a beautiful thing is I was raised in a Seventh-day Adventist home. Praise the Lord. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, my parents, Seventh-day Adventist. I went to Fresno Adventist Academy. I was involved in adventures, pathfinders, the bikeathons, all that stuff. We were so faithful attending church. I had my Sabbath school lesson, uh, usually going through my, or memorize my memory verse for the week. Also, you know, those little friends reading them and things. Every night, I remember kneeling down by my bed with my dad and saying my nighttime prayers. Praise the Lord for godly parents. I even made the decision at age 12 to be baptized at camp meeting in Soquel. There's me, look a little different, not too much though. <laughs> and I really, really, really wanted to stand up for Jesus. I, I had this just burning desire to really want to do things for God. From a young age, I had people telling me that when there would be like concerts going on, I would be in the back dancing to the music and things like that. I just really loved Jesus. But unfortunately, unfortunately sometimes um, the world is, it has a pool. Many of you have felt that before. And I started to get super involved in sports and finding my identity in my athleticism instead of my identity in Christ. Now, I'm not saying that sports are wrong, don't get me wrong. I love to throw a football and shoot a basketball and run. Those of you that know me even a little bit know that I cannot sit still. I love athletics. But I started to, to take all of my time and energy and thoughts into my, how good my three-point shot was, or how, how well I could you know, dodge people as they were grabbing my flags, or spike that volleyball. And you know, I did have a passion for sports, but from an early age I was very quickly recognized that I had some a potential or some ability in athleticism, and I started to identify myself with athletics instead of a relationship or who I was in God. And I, I started to just spend so much time there, and slowly those things from the Bible grew dim. Instead of memorizing my memory verses or studying my lessons or spending time in the Word of God daily, I wasn't doing that anymore. I started to slowly get involved with the things of the world. Maybe some of you have experienced this before, having those moments when you're super involved and then all of a sudden it just kind of dies down. Now, the, the Lord has a sense of humor, though. He... He, he's called me to very different things in my life that I look back and I'm like, I can't believe I did that. But the first thing that the Lord took me to was a thing called Teen Bible Academy. Now, Godfrey and Debbie actually have helped out on this a lot in the past. And there's a thing called Teen Bible Academy. It's a three-week summer camp kind of thing where the first week is solitude, the second week is study, and the third week is service. And at Teen Bible Academy, or TBA, was the first time that, as a teenager, I started to experience God again. While I was there, I, for the first time, had devotions, for the first time, understood some of the prophecies in the Bible, and for the first time, I experienced what it meant to be that fearful witness, and so win souls to Jesus. I remember... I was actually here in Modesto and going downtown and doing like homeless banquets and free car washes and all these things. And my heart started to slowly burn with this desire to want to do more for God. But I, w I went back to school, got back into athletics and the different things that were there, and I slowly forgot kind of that experience. But then that next summer, that next summer, I went door knocking in the heat of Arizona. Now, how many of you have been to Phoenix in the summer? 
I'm sorry. <laughs> it's hot there, is it not? And the Lord, the Lord called me to go call portering. Those books in my hand are what I would go door to door and I would sell these, raising money for high school. For I, since I went to a private school, I would go door to door selling these books. Now, if anyone has gone door to door, they know that it's hard because you get rejected. Not only that, I'm in the heat of Arizona and I'm not really sure where I stand with God, but I'm supposed to be telling people at these doors about him. And, and going there and honestly being on the front lines of ministry was when God started to really start to woo my heart again. You see, while I was there, I realized that when I was going to these doors and I was trying to preach Jesus to these people, I didn't even know who he was. I was going to these doors and I was trying to tell them, no, 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 it's just a donation. It's about God. He's coming soon. I didn't even really believe that. And the Lord started to really be like, Brooke, practice what you're preaching. And I started to study my Bible. That woman that I mentioned in the beginning, Heidi Bryant, she started to really get involved in my life and really start to challenge me. Brooke, study the Word of God. Get your nose in that book. And I, I like a challenge. I like to be challenged. And I was like, fine. And I did. And I'm so thankful that I did. That, that summer revolutionized my life. I went there, a very proud girl, <laughs> um, and I, I left um, still having those moments, <laughs> but, but with a, a desire to want to serve Jesus. When I came home, my parents can vouch for this, I was extremely different. <laughs> I, I didn't listen to the same music, I didn't watch the th same things, I didn't, I, I didn't talk the same, I didn't eat the same. I actually quit playing competitive sports because I realized that was pulling me away from Jesus. And I got back to school and through some various events and things like that, I ended up going to a boarding school my senior year of high school where I graduated in 2011. It was located in Canada. I know, Arizona, Canada, all over the place. <laughs> Um, I, I graduated from Fountain View Academy in 2011, and at Fountain View Academy is really, really, really where God was like, you know what, Brooke, I'm calling you to something more. I'm calling you to something more. And I was like, Lord, what is it? And he led me to Souls West Bible College. Now, this is where I just graduated from. I graduated from Souls West just this last August, and I was there for two years. Souls West is back in Arizona, I know. I went to Arizona, left Arizona, ended up back there. <laughs> and while I was there, I learned so many practical things about Jesus. I learned practical Christianity and things about marriage and the family and um, even finances, health, and I really learned how to effectively share my faith. But I can't say that my time there was all just roses and, uh, you know, cloud, line, cloud nine experiences. There was some rough, rough times that I had there. You know, even though I grew up in this good Adventist home, there were still struggles and things that Satan put in front of me or around me and, and things that I experienced that they left scars and marks and, and kind of holes in my heart and, and problems that I just had never dealt with. Um, I'm the type of person that I don't like to express my deep struggles and things like that. Um, even sharing my testimony is kind of uncomfortable for me, but I, when I have struggles, I just kind of keep them up inside and I'll, I'll, I'll fight and I'm fine. 
And I, I kind of just go on. And that's what was happening. Yes, I was, the Lord was leading me and leading me and leading me. But these, these struggles and things that I was just kind of burying, I wasn't letting him touch. It was kind of like those things in the closet, that, that grave that I had buried that I didn't want undone. In January of 2012, uh, at Souls West, um, they, have a, they have two like practicums for about two and a half months. Your first year, you do a thing called Big Books, which I don't know if you can see. Those are like the Uncle Arthur bedtime stories, the Conflict of the Ages series, these big book hardcover books, and you go door-to-door -door selling these. They're about, the cheapest ones are $100, the most expensive is about like $200. And you go door-to-door -door selling these. Now, my first experience with God was going door-to-door -door selling Christian books, but those were like 10 bucks, right? These are hundreds of dollars. And I was in Bakersfield and down in Southern California, and it's, it's funny. You know, in, in big books, you do it by yourself. <laughs> you have no, like, team members, like, Whoa, go, go, go. You just get in your car, you look at your map, and you drive to a neighborhood, and you're there for eight hours by yourself, going door to door with the rejections, with the heat, or in this case, the colds, with just your own self. And it's amazing when you're by yourself, what the Lord can do. I, I was in big books, and as I was doing this work and doing ministry, the Lord was really trying to save me. <laughs> and I started to really realize these things in the closet or these graves that I had dug, they were coming up. I, I was there, and I was sitting by myself in my car, and I was like, I don't want to go to the doors. It's cold outside, and it's warm in my car. <laughs> or I don't want to go to the doors. They're just going to say no. And I started to just overthink, I guess you could say. And while I was there, I started to really question, God, have you really called me? Because I wasn't really being as effective as I thought I should be in selling these books or in doing these ministries. But the Lord, the Lord was just like, no, no, I have. And I started to really doubt my experience. I started to really doubt, God, are you really using me? Can you really take someone like me? I mean, look at all these things that I've done. And when you start to, to vocalize those things, the devil just grabs a hold of those and just like runs with it. And I was there and the devil just started just bringing all these things to mind of things that I had done and experiences that I had been through and all these things. And unfortunately, instead of taking them and laying them at the foot of the cross, like we should, I try to fight these things on my own. I tried to take these battles, these struggles, these doubts, and fight them on my own. And a battle that you fight on your own, you always lose. You always lose. And I, I eventually ended up talking to a mentor of mine and, and, and just breaking with her and being like, I quit, I'm done, and all these things. I was so fed up with playing the role of a good Christian. And I, I told her, I want to quit. She, she told me, she's like, Brooke, you can't just keep floating. And I was like, that's it. I'm cold. I'm done. I want nothing to do with this. I'm done. Get me out. She's like, are you sure you want that? And I was just like, I'm done. Like, I give up. I had. I had given up. I was like, you know what? If Christianity, if soul winning is supposed to be like this, I am done. On February 25, 2012, <laughs> it was a Saturday, the Friday before, my friend Lisa told me, you know what, Brooke, before you really make a decision, you just need to go spend time with God. You've just been working and working and working, like Martha, <laughs> like we learned last week, and you haven't just stopped and spent time with God. And I was like, no, 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 no. 
It's fine. Uh, I'll just let me finish my term here, and then I'm going to go home, and I'm never coming back to this school. I'm never going back to ministry. I'm just going to go on my own path. And that's what I told her. I was like, as soon as this big book term is done, as soon as March 9 comes, I am done. And she just started praying. Later on, she told me, she's like, Brooke, I left that conversation with you, and I got in my car, and I wept for your salvation. So January, or February 25, 2012, it's Saturday, um, as soon um, as church was over, like as soon as it hit um, time, I, I got dressed, drove into my car, and I went to this place called Lake Paris. And all that I took with me was a backpack, and I had a water bottle, I think, my Bible, Desire of Ages, and a knife, and I think like a sandwich or something like that. And so I get in my backpack, I, I get my backpack on, and I just start hiking up these mountains. And I love hiking. Like, I would be up in the wilderness all the time if I could. And so I'm hiking, I'm hiking, and hiking. And there's just something so precious about nature. There's something so precious about nature and being out there with God. And I remember going to this mountaintop and finally finding um, a rock. And this is the view that I had looking over this big lake. And to the right, remember, there was like the city, and to the, uh, or to the left and to the right was like a dam and stuff, this beautiful lake. And sitting up there, and just being like, okay, so I'm supposed to spend time with God. And I remember taking my Bible, this same one, and opening it and just being like, have you guys ever done that before? <laughs> like, okay, so I'm supposed to read something here. And like nothing was piercing my soul. I remember just looking and being like, this is so, I'm done. And I remember just closing it and being like, finally just breaking and being so real with God. And I remember literally just like yelling at him. Like, are you there? I can't feel you. You feel so, so far away from me. God, I'm in full-time ministry. I'm, do, I'm at a Bible college, but I don't even know if you exist. And just breaking and breaking and just weeping and weeping and weeping on the top of this mountain. I was holding my Bible. I was reading in Desire of Ages, trying to find some bit of hope, and nothing was touching my heart. I remember kind of getting in my backpack and then drinking some water and just, like, frustrated, like, mm, like, where are you? I know you led me. You feel so far. And Satan just started to again, Brooke, you're nothing. He hasn't really led you. Look at all those sins that you've done. Look at all those mistakes. Look at who you were. Look at all those people you've hurt. Think about your friends that used to love Jesus, but because of you, they don't want to be with God anymore. And I remember sitting there and looking over the mountain or looking over the lake and literally being like, I quit. I remember <laughs> taking my Bible and taking my knife and really deciding, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live all for God. If not, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going to fake it anymore. And I remember sitting up there, and just battling, and just battling. And then I remember this thought that I know it was from Jesus. And he was just like, Brooke, I'm right here. He's like, you can't give up. 
you can't give up. There's too many people out there that don't know about Jesus. Brooke, you can't give up. Think about your mom and dad and the steps they're making towards God. Brooke, think about all your friends and all that they're doing. You can't give up yet. And I remember standing there, taking that knife and just chucking it. I remember throwing it and falling on my knees, just being like, fine, I give you one more chance. I give you one more chance. If you've really called me, you really need to start doing something. I remember putting my backpack back on and going down that hill and getting back in my car and driving away and thinking, what in the world have I just done? What have I just agreed to? God, what are you going to do? It was the craziest three weeks of my life. I got on that mountain, I drove back, and I remember just getting there and going out to doors and having these ridiculous experiences and getting back in my car and being like, what in the world? Like, you're real. I remember going and, and talking to people about God, and I felt like I was talking to myself, and, and the Lord being able to use my experience to minister to them. And I remember the Lord just taking these steps when I finally was like, you know what, no, I fully surrender, I'm tired tired of faking it, and I just threw myself into ministry because I realized that the only way God was going to save me is if I was saving other people. It led to this. In August 19, 2012, my family and I were rebaptized, and I praised God. That's a miracle for all of us, a huge miracle for all of us, <laughs> huge miracle. And I was like, you know what, I'm in it to win it. I'm, I'm done playing. I'm either going to be all for the Lord and that's it. There's no turning back from here. And I just decided I'm going to do something for God. And I realized that soul winning saves us. That soul winning saves us. We, we saw in the beginning that to fear God is... Someone who fears God is wise. Someone who is wise wins souls. And I started to realize that that's so true. Because when we save other people, God saves us. Let's go. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28 and, and look at this. You see, I went up on that mountaintop completely broken, ready to take my life and just be done forever. Be for, done forever, but... When I left that mountain, I wasn't perfect, but I was willing. And the Lord used that and transformed that. And I can testify that, friends, those things the devil threw at my mind, are com I've completely experienced victory over them. Matthew chapter 28. We know that in Matthew chapter 28, that this is after... Um, this is Jesus' resurrection and his time with his disciples and the time that he is going to, to go back to heaven. But I want us to read verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. When you're there, say, I got it. Wow, you guys are fast. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We know this as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. This is the Lord telling his disciples to go. But I want us to look at something interesting here. If you look in verse 17, there's something that just seems a little different to me. It says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What? How did they doubt after he just resurrected? How did they doubt after all they just saw? How did they, how did they doubt? But if you notice, does Jesus... Does Jesus, like, recognize that? Does he, that's not the word I'm looking for. Does Jesus, like, draw attention to that? No. What is his solution for their doubt? Go. Jesus' solution for their doubt, maybe for their struggles, maybe for their character flaws, was simply just to go. Jesus these people are doubting him. His disciples are in the very presence of God and Jesus and doubting if he is really the son of God. But Jesus doesn't, he doesn't bring attention to that. Instead, he just tells them, go. He knows that if they just go to work, if they go to ministry, if they go to save other souls, that their own souls will be saved. Maybe you have character flaws. Maybe you have doubts. Friends, soul winning saves us. It changes us. It does something. I can't, I can't even ex- explain it. It's something you just need to experience. That when you see a soul make a decision for Jesus, seeing people get in the waters of baptism, or maybe it's something as simple as doing a Bible study and saying, yes, I want to accept Jesus as my personal Savior. Nothing, nothing in this world compares to that. I've had some pretty adrenaline moments. I remember being in a football game, and it's like the last like three seconds, and like diving in the air and catching a touchdown goal, and everyone's like, "Wow!" That does not even compare. Even compare when someone makes one, even if it's just a baby step towards Jesus. I want to share with you some quotes and a story. Well, actually, first, cancer is a pretty wicked thing, is it not? I can boldly say that I, I hate cancer. And a, a normal cell, it's interesting, in, in science, in the body, I know many of you doctors should probably get to explain this better than I could, but in the body, your normal cells, they live to feed the body. They work with each other to feed and nourish themselves and, and to make sure the body's strong. But a cancer cell is only there to feed itself. It takes all the nutrition towards itself. It keeps it to itself until it grows so big and so strong that it eventually kills the very host that it's in. You know, from this example of cancer, we can really see that the law of that, that just taking everything into your own truly leads to self-destruction. That a cancer cell, as you can see, it has all these things to itself. It just takes it. It serves itself. The law of self-serving is self-destruction. Friends, you need to get it and you need to give it to somebody else. You need to get it, and you need to give it to somebody else. For those of you that have been in the Fishers of Men 101 class, the story is going to be familiar to you. 
but it's a good reminder. You see, in this story of the frost man, I want you guys to follow along. This is an amazing story. A working church is a growing church. Amen. <laughs> the members find a stimulus and a tonic in helping others. Now listen to this illustration that we get. I have read of a man who, journeying on a winter's day through deep drifts of snow, became benumbed by the cold, which was almost imperceptibly freezing his vital powers. He was nearly chilled to death and was about to give up the struggle for life when he heard the moans of a fellow traveler who was also perishing with cold. His sympathy was aroused and he determined to rescue him. He chafed the ice-cold limbs of the unfortunate man and after considerable effort raised him to his feet. As the sufferer could not stand, he bore him in sympathizing arms through the very drifts that he thought he could never get through alone. When he had carried his fellow traveler to a place of safety, the truth flashed home to him that in saving his neighbor, he had also saved himself. His earnest efforts to help another had quickened the blood that was freezing in his own veins and sent a healthy warmth to the extremities of his body. The lessons that in helping others we ourselves receive help must be urged. Let the desponding ones, the discouraged ones, those that are struggling, those disposed to think that the way to eternal life is trying and difficult, go to work for others. Such efforts, united with prayer for divine light, will cause their hearts to throb with the quickening influence of the grace of God, their own affections to glow with more divine fervor. Their whole Christian life will be more of a reality, more earnest and more prayerful. This man was the very, going through the snow, he himself was dying, but when he stopped for a moment and looked to save somebody else, it saved his own soul. Maybe your spiritual blood is frozen. That spiritual life and vigor is frozen. Friends, to get it going, you got to move. you got to do something to save somebody else or do something to move it again. Self-sacrificing, wholehearted service to God saves us. That's the only reason why I'm here. That's the only reason why on that mountain I didn't give up. The only reason was because I realized the Lord was saving me, but there were so many people who didn't know. I had a hope on that mountain. I knew that there was a Savior coming and that Jesus died for me. How many people out there actually know that? There are many who would work if urged into service and who would save their souls by thus working. I'm going to follow counsel, and I'm going to urge you to work, to just do something for God, anything. <laughs> if you're struggling in your walk with God, just for a moment, take your eyes off yourself and look, because reality has it, friends, everyone's struggling. I'm struggling. Everyone's struggling. We're all on this journey to get to heaven. We all need encouragement. We all need help. And we all need to fight to get there. Amen. So here's a way we're going to get super practical. I like practicality. 
How to get involved. How many of you guys know what GLOW is? Now let me just get this disclaimer. GLOW is not just going door to door with literature. GLOW is a lifestyle. GLOW is wherever you go, leaving these little pamphlets for people to read truth. I just restocked that whole GLOW rack and I'm hoping it's empty by after today. I did, I just restocked it last night because I knew that we were gonna start doing something. Maybe it's the Fishes of Men 101 class we just started. Unfortunately, it just started, but there are more to come. It's a class on teaching you as church members to be Bible workers. I'm not a Bible worker, I'm a cross chainer. It's teaching you as church members to learn how to share your faith with people. Maybe it's being a spiritual mentor to someone. Maybe people around you that you see, maybe the youth. Maybe those have just gotten baptized. Maybe whoever is just being that spiritual mentor. Maybe it's a neighborhood holiday outreach. You know, Thanksgiving time, holidays. People, people love it. Maybe to bake cookies and deliver it with a piece of a glow track or just something to do to save other people. Or a prayer meeting, bring a friend. Or you go to prayer meeting and just be blessed. Friends, we believe that Jesus is coming back so soon. But what are we doing to do that? What is it if we gain the whole world and lose our own soul? Friends, in saving other people, the Lord will save you. I don't know how to express this anymore until you actually just experience it. The only reason why I can be so passionate and speak so boldly as it may be is because when I was 16 years old, Heidi Bryant challenged me to do something for God. I never would have thought that challenge would have brought me here. I never thought that when I was 15, as a TBA student here, that I would ever come back with the experience that I had had. But in saving other people, and, and taking that step to forget about myself, to realize, yes, I may be in the winter cold and I may be cold, but there's someone else who's worse off than I am, and going to bring them up and to take them on the path and then to get the very life in my, and blood in my soul moving again. As my simple takeaway challenge for you this week, I want you to try one thing that you've never done before in regards to ministry. Maybe that's something as simple as maybe a friend of yours is struggling and you just pray with them. Maybe something as extreme and saying, I'm going to preach next Sabbath. I don't know. Well, the Pathfinders. Anyways, but doing something you've never done before for God. This is my first time preaching a sermon. I've never sat in front of a congregation before and preached a sermon. The Lord is, <laughs> the Lord does crazy things, but just being willing to say, you know what, God, I'm going to do something different. Because maybe you already are doing glow. I know some of you here pass out glow like crazy. Maybe you already are giving Bible studies. Maybe you already are involved in ministry or in some of these things. Bring someone along to, to experience it with you. Don't just settle for it. Just keep doing more. If you're doing all the work yourself, what is that benefiting? Let somebody else experience the joy of service. Are you guys willing to try it? Are you willing to say, this week, I'm going to try something new. If you need ideas, ask. We're all here. We're all working together to finish the work. Friends, let's just do something. Just do something. Because we know that in working to save others, God will save you. Let's close off with prayer. Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful, God, and humbled to think that we as sinful, sinful human beings, God, you use us when you and the angels could do such a better job. 
to minister to those around us. Father, we know you do this because it's also for us that in working to save others, we save ourselves. Jesus, I thank you for that amazing grace that we were once lost, but now we're found. And Father, may we go out to find those lost sheep to allow them to experience the joy in Jesus and the joy in service as well. Father, be with us on the Sabbath day. May we not just take today to, to have our nap, but may we somehow find a way to minister to somebody else. God, may Parkwood be known as a church that is serving, a church that is selfless and self-sacrificing. God, help us, Lord. We give you this takeaway challenge. May each of us here do something different for you this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.